Listener Production. Shares. Market. The S&P. The ISX. Stocks. This is the Motley Fool Money Mailbag. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, our very, spe- yep, still very special, Sunday Mailbag Edition. It is special because it's Sunday. It is special because I'm joined by Andrew Page. It is special because we get to answer your questions, which is, frankly, the funnest part of what we do. I mentioned Andrew. I should say good day to him. How are you, mate? I'm very good. Feeling, feeling pretty special after that introduction. Oh, mate, nothing special than that, if that's <laughs> now a word. Uh, did I tell you I used to work for Heinz? We had a product called Very Special. It was a soup. No. Heinz no. Very Special Soup. So when I think very special, I can't help but go back there. It's one of those things. I don't know I don't know about you, mate. I don't know what your kind of, I do know what your work history is like, but I'm not sure how you feel. I can't ever get groceries out of my blood. Like it's one of those things. Like I actually enjoy grocery shopping and I can't help but look around. I haven't been in the grocery business now for, what, a dozen years. Mm. Um but it was the first kind of dozen or so years of my working life. I just like the, you can't. It just doesn't go away, right? So mm. I just can't help myself. I, I'm always in that that headspace. I, I said I'm very, very few of us in life actually like going grocery shopping. I'm one of those people because I just can't help but look around, see what's going on, who's doing what, and you know, drives my wife nuts. I'm sure. Yeah, you I, have one I of those. Well, I, one one thing that does go through my mind often when I'm at the shops is that whenever I look at an aisle or anything, anything yeah. within that space. Mm. I think some team of people has spent a long time thinking <laughs> yeah. about that <laughs> and optimizing that. You know, so like well, that. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. why is that there? Is it's not because well that's just where they were stocking it up and they decided no 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 that, <laughs> dumb luck, yeah. th- there is such a ridiculous amount of science yeah. by which you kind yeah. of it's easy to sort of miss that stuff but once yeah. you're sort of aware of it you kind of feel everything is there for a reason everything sure. is being measured like the the industry has come a long <laughs> way and now now you've got. Uh, AI, you know, putting its muscle behind some of these things. It's like, we're, we're, we're all screwed. I just feel as though there's going to be a day in the not too distant future. I'm going to walk in to buy some milk and I'm going to come out with 400 bucks worth of groceries. Yeah. <laughs> I just optimized I, I, it so well. I'm sure I've said this before, mate, but I, uh, when, I, when I go to the shops and they've got those, those chockies or something right at the front where they watch you to pick them up, you know, they put a display at the end or something. It's one of those things where, I, you know, it's, it's, it's human psychology. I'm like, I know what you're doing, you bastard. But I'm going to buy it anyway. I'm still going to do it. I'm still going to do <laughs> exactly. it. Exactly. Cannot yeah. help myself. It is. Oh, wait a, a second. 20, 20% reduced? Yeah. <laughs> All right. I know what you're doing, but okay, I'll buy it. Yeah, okay. sure. Okay. Okay. Uh, the, um, the, the other one, by the way, a bit, bit of inside baseball, although this is, I'm, I like to believe this has changed since. Um, whenever a new product would come up, any of the companies you work for, you go, you course, you do the focus groups, right? You do the market testing. Will people really buy this? And the general, the general kind of test is eight out of 10. If eight out of 10 people you survey will buy it or probably will buy it, then you launch the product. Mm-hmm. Very, 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 very few products fail that. And despite oh, yeah. them passing the 8 out of 10, most new products actually fail on shelves. And it's one of those kind of things about, you know, I, I, I feel for marketers because marketers want to believe. And it's a bit like investors, right? Confirmation bias. Once you spent your life investing in this product and coming up with the idea and developing the packaging and doing the market testing, you just want to believe it and it, it'll work. And some do, right? It's, it's yeah. a bit, again, a bit like investing. It's, you know, the, the winners far, far, far make up for the losers. No matter how many losers Heinz have had over its, over its career, I used to work for Heinz. Uh, as I said, the, uh, you know, the tomato sauce and the, the baked beans still sell like the absolute clappers. So, you know, it's worth, mm. it's worth trying some new stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, 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 I must, I, you know, I, I get the whole, I want to make this work so badly that I, I you know, I want to believe. Uh, but yeah, a remarkable number. As I said. They, all, they all get eight out of 10 people say they, they probably will buy it. And then when it gets on the shelf, the vast bulk, and it's something like eight or nine out of 10 new products fail. It's wow. just, bru- it's a brutal, brutal well, place. We are creatures of habit though, are we not? We are. So it's kind we of are. like, you know, there, there is a certain, I'm probably, I'm probably in this camp actually. I, I see something new. I'm kind of curious. I want to try it. Mm, mm. Um, 
but I think for a lot of it was like, no, I get, I get, um, I get Heinz baked beans. Why do you get that brand? Because that's, yeah. that's what I've always got. <laughs> I know we convinced ourselves as a reason. I know it yeah. tastes better. Tastes better. Really? Yeah, like, mm. uh, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> Is it com- we spoke to a company not long ago. God, we really should get to a podcast at some point. At some but, point, um, yeah. yeah. They do contract manufacturing for Coles. So they make oh. their their no-name, um, well, yeah, the, right. the store brand sort of pasta and this other kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. It's big business, but it, it, it's, it's a double-edged sword in the sense that can you imagine you and I starting a business? Like, we're going to put a bit of a, a manufacturing plan together. We're going to start making stuff. And then Coles mm-hmm. or Woolies knocks on your door. So we want you to supply 500 <laughs> supermarkets around the country. Mm-hmm. Like, we're cracking the champagne that night. Yeah. But it's, it, it's you know, it's hard because once you're in, it's kind of like, well, I've got to, we've got to ramp up. We've got to meet mm-hmm. this. And then they, they – it's always – this is a good lesson for any kind of analysis <laughs> of any company is when mm-hmm. you look at a supply chain, like from raw material – you know, um, picked out of, of the raw earth and and <laughs> goes on this journey into my stomach, then you know, who will who along that value chain is extracting the best margin? Because it yeah, tends right. to be in most most industries, right. there's a lot of people on razor thin scraping by, and then there's one sort of player mm-hmm. that we just suck up all of the all of the value. Yeah, and um, yeah. The supermarkets have—they're doing something right. They've got. Yeah, they've got exactly. Ask any farmer that you care to, to mm. get to speak mm-hmm. to. You know what they think of the big supermarkets. It's usually not a positive. Um, can, can I say though? That's all true. Uh, but you know who actually wins is us. Oh yeah, consumer. the consumer. Right. Yeah, hundred percent. Because the yeah. thing about Woolies, like Woolies, make all the margins. Sure, uh, absolutely they do. Um, but at the end of the day, we also you and I know they make six cents out of every dollar overall after pay to let cost. So that you know, yes, they make a lot of cents per unit on a, on a you know if you're selling a, a can of baked beans you're making 25% profit right so take the take the, rough, roughly it might have mm-hmm. changed again but mm-hmm. so, say it's a dollar 50 because my math is just easier that way um, they're going to make about 37 and a half cents of profit right that, and that's that's more mm-hmm. probably than the Heinz are going to make and more than the poor bean farmer is going to make and that's all true mm-hmm. and yet after all that they're left with four, five, six cents in the dollar six in a, on a good year four in a bad year mm-hmm. uh, we get the benefit of that, right? The other twenty odd cent, twenty odd percent goes to us. Yeah. Where we say, "Yep, thank you for thank you for owning that store. Thank you for paying the rent. Thank you for the lights. Thank you for making it super convenient for me to come and get." Yeah. And by the way, those those farmers and I absolutely feel for them. It's a it's a frankly, it's one of the broken things about capitalism on a, on, a, on a broader scale. But um, you know, that Woolies push the price down to make me want to shop there. And so yes, the farmer gets screwed because Woolies don't charge much for milk. But guess who benefits from it? I do. And we all say, "No, no, we don't. We, we all look after farmers. No, we don't. We want one dollar milk." Oh, know, like, when well, it comes to the shopping decision, that's what we want. Oh, that's everything. Everyone's for Australian made until you think, wait a second, uh-huh. T-shirt made in China is like a fifth of the price. You know, yep. the things, you know, we are- Correct, correct, correct. What we say and what we do is a two a two very different things. But again, we, we will get onto a podcast soon. But it's just what a, what a, what a strong competitive um, mm. moat that that is mm. in, in that- you think about what it would require to take on the likes of of those big companies because they have the oh, yeah. scale advantage yeah. and because they're prepared to yeah. operate at such low margins. It's like we we couldn't offer that price profitably. <laughs> that's right. If we try, yes. we give me a uh, yes, billion right. dollars, right, and give me ten years, and maybe maybe I eventually sort of get mm-hmm. there on the scale mm-hmm. that they're at. It's just you know, it's it's um, anyway. We think about these things probably too much in our daily life when we're out and about. (laughs) But it's it's once you see these things, you can't unsee them. And I think they're very Mm -hmm. good lessons to sort of have when you're looking at a business to sort of ask that. You know, what is it? Mm -hmm. Who's capturing the value here? Yeah, absolutely. Where where is their moat? Like, who is? What is stopping someone else from coming in and and cutting cutting their lunch? 
Uh, anyway, it's all all part of the fun and games. No, it's re- it's really important actually because those are the messages. And this this is you know we started on a tangent, but there is a, there is a real business lesson because understanding where the value is, if the value is there, again we've talked about airlines mm-hmm. before. Where's mm-hmm. the value? It's in the airports. It's yep. not in the planes. It's not you know Boeing make a few dollars, Qantas make nothing. Sydney Airport makes a squillion bucks, right? And that, yep. that's just you know it's not obvious necessarily. When you first look at it, you think, how is that possible? Mm-hmm. And then you start to think about, okay, well, hang on, there's a monopoly power there. The airlines don't have a choice. If I want to come in, they've got to fly in via there. If I want to fly, I've got to fly out via there. I could use any airline, but I can only choose one airport in Sydney or one yep. of two airports in Melbourne or whatever. And that yep. you know, monopoly duopoly position is super, super profitable. There is probably no surprise that Woolies and Coles are much more profitable and there's only two really big ones than they were 25 years ago when mm-hmm. together they had 35 40% market share. They've now got eighty to ninety-five percent market share, depending on the category. Um, yeah. You know, there's a reason they have a lot of a lot of power. They, I've said before, you know, there were times when Coles, uh, sorry, when Woolies took Coke on mm. and said, "You might be Coke, but I'm Woolies." Yeah. And guess who won? Woolies, right? And yeah. it, despite Coke's massive power, why? Because at a local level in Australia, in New South Wales, yes, Coke is massive, but it's not anywhere close to the size of Woolies. In Australia, when you sell it now, Coke one, one party needs the other more, more than the other way right, around. You right. Know? And by the way, here's the other thing, mate: is on on think about value chain and power. Yes, Coke globally dwarfs Woolworths, right? Dwarfs Woolworths, mm-hmm. and yet, when think about the think about the decision, think about the negotiation, right? The Woolworths account manager for Coke mm-hmm. in in Australia is fighting Woolworths head office. So all of a sudden things change, right? Coke mm. could absolutely have that fight if they chose to, but they're not because the mm. CEO of Coke lobby doesn't care. He just tells the, the, the head of Coke Australia New Zealand, get your number. Mm. And the head of Coke Australia New Zealand says to the sales manager, get your number. And the sales mm. manager says to the Woolworths account manager, get your number. And they go, okay, fine. Now, mm. to be fair, sometimes they have a fight. Heinz have had a fight. I know after my time, way after my time, so this is third party, um, but they've, they've said in the media, they had a fight with Woolies once upon a time saying, Woolies, this is not reasonable. Coke mm-hmm. have done the same thing. But at the end of the day, who blinks first? determines who, so who has actually got the power it's not necessarily the biggest dog it's at the point of the transaction yeah who has the power and that's a very different thing it's worth thinking that through as well yeah 100 hey mate think of things you can't unsee you know you thought you were on a tangent before i'm mm-hmm. going to share this just because i'm passionate about this one this has got nothing with investing at all though all right, see, if you, see if you can get us there uh as we were as we were coming on air as we were starting to record i saw an email from amazon prime i'm an amazon shareholder you know that mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. top gun maverick now available to purchase on Amazon Prime. Can I tell you what I'm going to do as soon as I finish this recording? <laughs> Have you seen it? I haven't. My God, dude, can, can, you, you need to, there is nothing in your life, short of your kids and your wife, more important than checking out <laughs> Top Gun Maverick. Do it, do it loud. Do it on a big screen if you can, or at least do it at home with the lights off. <laughs> it is spectacularly good. For people of yeah. your and my vintage mate specifically, yeah. um, who've seen the first one, can I tell you? Just I, I'm, I'm not you. You will say to me, "Oh my God, you were so right." I'll say, "Yes, yes, I know." Mm-hmm. Do yourself mm-hmm. a favor. I, I don't know if it's everywhere else. It might be. I don't know if Prime's got it exclusively. I just saw the email. Top Gun Maverick now on Amazon Prime. I'm like, oh my God, I saw it at the movies. Spectacularly good. Uh, just do it. Do yourself a favor. Watch. Top it's Gun on the Maverick. list. It's definitely will, on the list. No, no, yeah. no, top, I'm top, top of the list, mate. Seriously, <laughs> you'll thank me yeah. later. All right, should we get onto uh, should we get on the mailbag? Yeah, After, let's do that. Why after fifteen or so minutes of talking now, eleven minutes of talking other stuff. Here's a here's an email, here's a, a message I got through on on socials, mate, uh, from Zoe. Urgent attention, please. My associate is in contact with the family of the recently left president. My contact briefly on the urgent family need request that the formal first family 
want to move funds for investment and need a very capable contact with high pedigree and wealth of experience that can handle mm. it and partner with them in a very big investment partnership. Ooh. Please, can you be of help to provide a capable personality with influence from your country as it is a matter of urgent importance? Kindly let me know if you can or have someone else of that status for the above purpose so they will contact him immediately for details. In a meeting in this regard, I wait for your prompt response. Thank you. Sincerely, Zoe. That sounds like an, an exciting opportunity. I'm, I'm there, mate. I am yeah. there. Uh, yes, clearly, clearly spam. A reminder that there are scumbags everywhere and so many of them around my obviously everyone knows it's a scam it's a ridiculous thing I, you know the other thing it must work right because they wouldn't do it, it if it didn't yeah. uh, so just just you know I, whether you're talking about close your ears for a second Ram, random cryptocurrencies or <laughs> NFTs or the tip on the fifth at Ramwick from your brother-in-law um, if things are too good to be true, just assume they are. Just please mm. do me and yourself a favor and assume they are. Um, again, we, we both know this is rubbish, but I just wanted to uh, just wanted to share that one because that's the most obvious one. There are some that aren't. Mate. That one's been There's doing really... rounds for a while. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I know. The, mm. the old Nigerian prince scam. Um, mm. there, but there are, some, there are some even better ones, right? I haven't got one of those recently, which is nice. Although I did get a Bitcoin giveaway one. Someone said I was a lucky winner. I can have 0.6832 Bitcoins. All I need to do is log into their website. Wow. That's a good I know. free money. What, what's what's two thirds of a Bitcoin worth? Like twenty grand? Yeah, about that. Yeah, about that. Yeah. <laughs> there you yeah. go. See, there you go. Done. Must be must be true. Must be. Some true. people what just love giving money away. Yeah. Exactly, mate. Exactly. Right. Just trying to help me. Anyway, just just a uh, just something to remind people: don't don't get done by the scams, no matter how good they seem. I know people get desperate. I know sometimes we want things to be true. Don't. Hey, here's a real one from Stefan, mate. One for the Motley Fool mailbag, please. For Scott and Ram the Straw Man, in case you have forgotten, Scott. No, thank you, Stefan. <laughs> I didn't remember. I assume it's Stefan. It could be Stefan. Either way, mate. You, he says, you often hear a company state they have a share of a potential X billion dollar industry and are self-confessed market leading. You know the story, mate. Total addressable market, $48.5 billion. We're market leaders in the space. I love and a good Stefan term. asks... Yeah, well, he says, how do you evaluate the competition to a company you are looking at investing in? Mm. He says in brackets, other than Google. Is there a way to include private companies in this evaluation? What tools do you personally use? I appreciate the insight every week. At the age of 36, I care less about the number now, just the continued dollar cost averaging. Love it. Cheers from Stefan or Stefan. My apologies, whichever way I've mispronounced that one, mate. Um, I, we haven't hit quite as much about TAM now in the last 18 months as the, as the tech share prices start crashing. It's now all about cash flow positivity and, and focusing on operational efficiency as, as Kogan did the other day. Um, once upon a time, it was all that, oh, we're the market leaders in this $84 trillion you know, global business opportunity. It's, it's, I really struggle with this, mate. I generally hate TAM uh, for the reasons that Stefan is, is kind of concerned about, which is it's so easy to just big up this number and make it something and then kind of go after as if it's, a, as if, it's you know, you, mm. if it can be achieved. Mm. On the flip side, I know Microsoft actually used to make itself redefine its market as it grew mm. to make sure it went after bigger and bigger markets over time. So yes, it was number one in the operating system market. Okay, well now we're in the software business. Okay, we've got that. Now we're going to be mm. in the computer, you know, sales business, whatever it is. Mm. They, would, they would enlarge their own market internally just to make themselves chase growth, which I think also has some, some sense to it. And- Honestly, if you can capture some sort of share, Amazon at one point may or may not have said, you know, we want to be the market leader in this industry. It's like, wow, actually, that turns out can kind of work. How do you, how, so firstly, how do you think about TAM, the total addressable market? Mm. And then how do you go about doing the work to really understand an opportunity or, or, or a claim when it comes to some of these companies? Yeah, I mean, it is important, right? Like, particularly if, like me, you, you do 
you have a bit of a penchant for for growth companies. You know, <laughs> yeah. there's a there we're 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 a, why I really like companies that are creating their own mm. industry. It's like um, this this service didn't exist ten years ago. Now yeah. it does. Yeah. And you know, it's a, you kind of want a bit of a ballpark here. Is like, well, mm-hmm. what what's the what's the sort of the upper bound here as to what you you could um, you could do? So it's not yeah. nothing wrong with thinking about it. The trouble is, is that it's just a total thumb suck. Like the total addressable market for straw man is probably a billion people. <laughs> I don't know. That's right. Every Eight, every billion. everybody who is or may possibly at one point invest in the stock market. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, it's like okay, I can say that. I mean, how realistic yeah. is it? That's yeah. that's the hard part. Yeah. Um. So I, I think it's I think it's right to to think about. I think you need to take a lot of these figures with a with a very large grain of salt. It's, I find it particularly hard when you're talking about enterprise software or business-to-business type servicing. Mm, now, if I'm dealing mm, with mm. Um, hamburgers, you know, I can, I, can, I can go and I can try a McDonald's hamburger and go to Hungry Jack's. I can, you know, there are things that I have a direct experience with mm, and, can, mm. and sort of, and because they are advertising to direct to the consumer, yeah. I, I, can get a, I can get a really good feel for it. When you're talking about a company that does, I don't know, 3D geospatial data for mine sites, it's like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, well, there are a lot of mine sites, and, but it's, 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 it's very tricky. Mm-hmm. Um, we saw a lot of it actually with, with companies. It's, it's pulled back a little bit for a variety of reasons, but with mm. people or Australian companies going into China, you know, it's like, if only I could sell the 1% of China, you know, I'd make us, it's a, it's a billion dollar, billion people there. It's a huge market. All I need is one percent. I'm going to do. I'm going to do incredibly yep, well, yep. which is all. Which is all true. Um, but you have to sort of handicap that number, and that that is particularly hard. So I I pay attention to what the addressable mm. market. I'm I'm curious, but I think what what really speaks volumes to me is is the um, demonstrable sales traction and cash flow. So there's 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 the company that sort of hasn't yet commercialized properly, but oh, mm-hmm. if only we can get this out, you know, one in 10 people on the planet will buy this thing versus the company that says, actually, it's an underserviced market. In fact, it's brand new. We're, we're, we're hmm. um, upending the industry. We're doing it in a completely different way. And for the last eight quarters, sales have been growing at 30% with actual cash in the bank. And it's like, okay, there's something. You can't fake that, you know. There, yeah. there's, there's, also, there's also, it's a lovely dynamic when the market is large enough because even then you, you don't have to worry too, we have to work well. Be careful what I say. You have to worry less about competition. <laughs> if what's the total addressable market for Woolworths in Australia? Well, it's twenty-five million people, pretty yeah, much. Yeah. But the only way they're going to win more market share is by taking it from somewhere else, because everyone shops at a supermarket. Um, there are industries where they are so brand new. It's actually you can be the fourth, fifth, sixth, eighth biggest player out there and still do well because the whole world is is so rapidly changing. We saw that with a lot of. Um, managed service technology companies. You know, everyone was transitioning to the cloud. There's a bunch of IT professionals out there saying, I oh, will help you with that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And and I don't know. I'm kind of I'm kind of all over the place here at this point. So don't don't <laughs> don't be too cynical and just dismiss it because yeah. it's 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 yeah. a number you want to have a feel for. But just just treat it with some healthy skepticism. And and I you know I know that the listener mm-hmm. said, you know, besides Googling it, Google's an awesome tool. Google is a yeah. brilliant yeah. reference. Like, Google that stuff and see what comes out. We speak to, um, <coughs> pardon me, a lot of management with straw men. It's always one of my questions. Who's your competitors? <laughs> what, what do you do that's better than them? Um, a good, yeah, a good management question. team will know and, yeah. and they will tell you and they'll be very candid about it. So, yeah, it's, it, yeah, it's, it's a no great shortcut. question. I, yeah, there's no shortcut. I, I really struggle, um, Stefan. I, I, 
I don't like TAM because generally it's overinflated, but it'll give you some sort of broad idea, right? And, and frankly, if, you, if you've got, you know, $7 million in sales and you say the market's worth $7 billion, if you have it and have it and have it and have it and have it again, you're selling less than 1% of the market. And so what, what you're really seeing is there is a big opportunity there. Yeah. Where I think you need to be careful is it can sometimes indicate a over an over-promotional management team. And I would mark down a business that, that, you know, if the first three slides of your ASX presentation are about the TAM, then they are trying to sell you. And that's, you know, they're right. I don't think it's great. You know, I've talked about this before, Ram. In fact, last week we kind of talked about some of the challenges of, of management, what they should or shouldn't do. Um, if someone's trying to, you know, the BS detector is a good one. If, if they if they seem they're trying to sell you, they're probably trying to sell you. And the more they're trying to sell you, frankly, the more skeptical you should be of those numbers that they use. Mm. Because the, the TAM for everything is 8 billion people, mm. right? Because, you know, is it possible? What's the other? Is it total serviceable market? Is that the new one? I'm serviceable addressable kind of, market, the SAM. There you go. Serviceable Sam, addressable there market. You mm-hmm. So you guys, you're like, okay, well, there's 8 billion people. Okay, but, you know, you're selling... Um, you know, uh, raises for blokes. Okay, well, that's half the market, right? We can use it, probably a bad example. You get the idea. Um, and so on and so forth down down the line. So, you know, there, there's total adjustment, the total service. So what can you get to? Even then, you know, just 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 be really, really skeptical. I, I don't think cynical necessarily, although maybe cynicism is useful just to make sure you keep yourself on the straight and narrow. Mm. Um, just, just, be, just be really careful. Um, you, you said it before, mate. All that matters is that there's a there's a big opportunity here. That's yeah, the message yeah, we're trying to yeah. get across. And it's right? multiple a big opportunity. level sales. Yes, exactly. Yep. 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 And that's it. And, and it, it makes perfect sense for a startup because you don't have anything yeah, except exactly. an idea. If you're <laughs> on right, Dragon's exactly. Den, yes, you know, yes, and yes. you're trying to pitch to the Dragons, well, you're going to yes. say, hey, look, you know, you don't want to get out there and say, I've got this product that is only for, you know, Guys aged between forty six and forty seven, and yep. who are five foot three, yeah, and yeah, well, you right. know, right. blue eyes, and you, you, you just, like, it's, it's not attractive. I mean, yeah. by the way, <laughs> I got to say, I don't, I don't mind a business that has a pretty niche market. Yes, I agree um, too. But just just to elaborate on that for a little bit, because there there are some companies I've got in my portfolio which are mm. tiny, tiny little ASX <laughs> companies, but they are genuine world leaders in what they do, mm. and mm. I like it for tech because. It's Google or Amazon or the big big guys are never going to go near it. Why would they? They could mm. win there. Mm. Sure, they could. They could throw a bunch of engineers at it and all their all their expertise, and they could crush it. And maybe they grow their sales by 03 of a percent for a twenty million dollar Aussie company. Uh, that's actually a huge opportunity, you know. So mm. it, it is it is nice to sort of be in the clear water where there aren't many other aren't many other fish sort of swimming yeah so 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 sometimes a small market is a a small but niche market can be quite attractive as well you just have to know that the growth is limited by the size of that market and the market share you can get to so if you might if you need to be 89 percent of that market to grow at all yes you know you mentioned losing coals right the matter yeah the market's sizable ish but they own most of it and coals own the other part and trying to take trying to grow is really hard so massive market I don't know what they do now. They used to do $20 billion a year in sales. It's probably double that now. I haven't looked recently. Mm-hmm. Um, so t- massive market, but getting a share is hard. Yeah. I, you know, I'd, I'd rather, uh, you know, the future of a small growing business than, than a big dominant one that can't grow. We mentioned kind of that slow growth stuff last last week, mate. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Let's, let's move on to a question from John, mate. He says, hi, Scott. I had a question for the mailbag. I listen to your show weekly. I'm failing you to investing. I appreciate all I learn. From you and Andrew at Motley Full Money. Thank you, mate. I started acquiring shares in Fortescue on the back of their strong results a couple of years back, but also with an eye on the future and what they're doing with Fortescue Future Industries. I recently read in the AFR 
that if it had been floated, it would be worth $20 billion as an IPO. Mm. I guess my question is, is investing in Fortescue with an eye for future industries a bit naive? And that has been has a strong potential to be spun off. Would existing shareholders likely lose out? Thank you and fool on, John. Hmm. I saw that number two, John. In fact, I saw $29 billion, which I'm, you know, apparently Fortescue has been told by investment bankers that's what it might be worth. Um, I'm sure they did saying that. I'm sure it's probably somewhere in that vicinity, plus or minus half. Uh, but that's the, that's the number that, it, that it's been given. I own shares in Fortescue, as you likely know, John, if you've been listening. Uh, so I'm a little bit biased. I too uh, would take both of those. Uh, we've talked before about the iron ore price, but also the opportunity for, with with uh, Fortescue Future Industries. Twiggy is betting large amounts of money on this business, right? The green hydrogen business, um, plenty of other stuff as well. If this doesn't come off, he is going to have wasted, torched t- a 10-figure sum, easily a 10-figure sum. Uh, which is remarkable. Uh, now, you know, <laughs> in, in, the, in the realm of, of you know, billionaires with um, lots of self-confidence and big, big dreams, uh, maybe Elon Musk, other people, um, you know, good luck to them. If they can make it work, then, then fantastic. If it doesn't work, as I said, he's torched a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, but investors know that's what's happening. Uh, is it naive to invest in Fortescue based on that, that future industries business, Andrew? No, it's it's absolutely core to to your investment thesis. I mean, how do you buy shares in this thing by not factoring that in? Mm. It doesn't it doesn't matter what's happened yesterday or the day before. I mean, it matters. <laughs> right. It matters in the sense that it does. It does. There's a pedigree there, or there's a track record there, and that 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 definitely counts for something. You know, you'd much you'd much prefer to back uh, a, a leadership team that's yeah. that's got some runs on the board, got some credibility. So so yeah. that's where it counts. But when you buy shares today, you're exposing yourself to future potential. Mm. And that future potential is going to be underwritten by the by the investments that are made today. Now, a business, no matter how big, uh, you can be the biggest business in the world, you've, you've only got so many dollars to invest. You can buy back your own shares. You can pay out a dividend. You can do some R&D and develop a new product. You can start a completely different product line. You can do all of these kinds of things. Yeah. And, and your bet is... I think this management team is going to take the available mm-hmm. capital. Mm-hmm. Let's call it a dollar of capital they're going to invest and they're going to get more than that out. Yeah. Uh, that's that's the game here. That's their job. Yeah, exactly. That is that is, that is everything. Well, give the money back to shareholders. If you, if you can't take the dollar and more than a dollar, give the dollar oh. back. <laughs> oh. You know, I, I actually read in the, the Fin the other day, a um, little company I always love to talk about is Prometicus, right? They bought this They bought this company called Visage for three and a half million that's, US dollars. That was a, that's the other thing about Prometicus, right? It actually wasn't even its core business. They just, no. I, I, I will say, I will say they lucked onto it. I don't mean to suggest that they had no role and they weren't smart, they weren't capable or clever or bought at a good price. Those things are all true. Yeah. But if it passes on this deal, it gets outbid by somebody else. The whole business is 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 entirely different these days. Yep. Now, there's a parallel universe out there where they spent three and a half million dollars on this thing. They could never sell it, and eventually they wrote it off on the balance sheet. You <laughs> That's know, right. just, you know, or yeah. there's a there's a business that today is worth however many hundreds of billions of dollars. I mean, <laughs> what? An, yeah, that's right. And, and you don't right. even have to. I don't even need to tell you what the share price has done, right? When you when you put that much out and get so much back, mm-hmm. it is it is ridiculous. Yeah. So, yeah. so yes, you you have to you have to when it comes to Fortescue Metals, look at what. The leadership team is saying, and they are very clear, we're doing this. And your job as an investor is to say, yeah, I think that's smart. 
Now, mm. the, the, there is no guarantees at all in, in life, except for death and taxes, as they say. And there's certainly no guarantees when it comes to investing. So as you say, the, maybe this turns out to be a complete fizzer and he just mm. tortures mm. all that money. Or maybe he takes those, those hundreds of millions and he turns it into hundreds of billions. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Therein lies the question. I'm not going to answer it. I haven't. I haven't done the research. <laughs> I haven't done the research. But that yeah. that is that is exactly the question. Exactly. And 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 I, I know I always say this, but I'll reiterate it as well. If you do a lot of reading on this company and the industry and what they're doing, and you just really can't form a firm opinion, that's mm-hmm. cool. Just pass and move on. You know, yep. I, it, too hard basket. That's cool. It happens for most companies I read at. I, I read about so, um, but but have an opinion. You ha- you you should only hold or buy shares in this company because you feel what they're doing is smart. Love it. And John, to to your point about the question about the spinoff, mate. Uh, no, you're not going to lose out about the spinoff if there is one. Um, a spinoff, the proceeds either. You are, well, nothing is absolute, but in every case I can think of that I've ever seen, Ram. If if a company for if a part of a company is spun off, either it's sold to someone else in which case the company gets the cash for that and you as the shareholders own that that cash you know as if any any other product sale or business unit sale if it's spun off as a separate business and listed separately um, then the shareholders will receive a proportional interest in that business as well um, so you know if, if Motley for money is split off into two parts Andrew gets half I get half um, you know the, the 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 split is still is still done in in uh, the same proportion as your ownership of Fortescue itself. I'm trying to give a good example of a recent spin-off. I'll tell you, I tell you one. I tell you one. Only because I, I own shares and it. it happened earlier this year. It's a there company called Ava Risk Group. They had right. a services division. Basically, they flew gold bullion and very highly valuable stuff around the world. They they flogged it off. And um, so, if you look there at you the go. chart, you'll see that. You know, a few months into the year, shares just plummeted. They were forty cents at the time. They dropped all the way down to twenty cents. On the on on a particular day, they dropped all the way back to twenty six cents. Like, oh my god, what a disaster! This yeah. is why this is why charts can only tell you so much. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. I know there's probably a chartist yelling at the podcast machine right this second, <laughs> but I will tell you that what that chart will never tell you is that although that share price dropped that much, I got yeah. about sixteen cents in my hot little hands yeah. as a result yeah. of that because they spun it off and they said, "Hey, we got all this money." Uh, yep. We don't need it. You have it. There you go. Yeah. Thank you very much. Now they won't always give you the money. Sometimes they will. Um, they'll keep that money and reinvest it in something else. Um, Tabcorp, when it spun off the Lottery Corporation, oh, yeah. it's Lottery's business. Shareholders just got uh, the equivalent number of, of Lottery Corporation shares. They own both businesses. Um, so yeah, there's no there's, there's no way. I mean, companies can get cash and then waste it all. So it's mm-hmm. not you know I can't mm-hmm. guarantee you it's going to generate massive amounts of value. But shells likely to get screwed by some spend if it doesn't that you don't get some value for. Um, it's up to the management how they whether they give you cash, whether they give you shares in the spun off business, whether they reinvest that cash in some future growth, and when they make that decision, you have full opportunity to sell your shares or buy more or, or keep the ones you get. So it's all all pretty straightforward. Yeah, and I just reiterate that it is everything. Whether you forget share market, like if you're starting a business, there's your money. Right. right. You've got so much equity to put into the business. Go for it. You yeah. know the, the question is. <laughs> what do you get back for that? that that's everything <laughs> it is everything exactly mate let's go to one I'm going to ask you to uh, be a little bit um, let's both try and be less ranty can we do that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, no not, promise not with the rant we had a couple of days ago uh, uh, with the uh, there was, it was a rant it, I, I like to rant uh, Isabella asks about financial services and she says hey Scott and Ram I'm a recent listener and a fast fan thank you mate Signed up to your service and I'm loving the podcast. Really look forward to your weekly insights and Q&A on all things markets. From listening for a few months, 
I've noticed you tend to have quite a negative view towards financial advisors. I understand that their interests can be poorly aligned under funds under management pricing models, and if they can only recommend certain products, but do you think the profession as a whole has value? My understanding is since the Royal Commission, ASIC is working hard to regulate the space and make it a profession in line with accountants and lawyers. It's a field I'm considering myself as a career, as I have a passion for personal finance and I want to help people maximize their wealth building opportunities, especially, she says, in underrepresented communities, which is awesome. Mm. But I do feel like the industry has a bad reputation. Respecting both your views a lot, I would really appreciate some more insight on your views on the profession and where you think they add real value. Understanding, of course, that a fee-for-service model is ideal. Thanks Mm. in advance and full on. And that's from Isabella Louisa. Louisa. Um, Mate, it's a very good question because we do tend to kind of shorthand bag the worst of financial advisors. and, And frankly, the ones that are worth bagging deserve every bit of grief that we give them. Um, scumbags we've <laughs> that rant didn't take a long to start um, we, <laughs> I, I'm, we, talking uh, about, I'm talking about the, 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 that particular end of the spectrum that you yes, were exactly. to just exactly. To so I'm going to I'm going to have a go at this for Louisa and then maybe maybe you can uh, you can uh, add your thoughts as well um, I so look we I had a rant a couple of days ago uh, about some of the changes that may happen, and we're not, I don't want to go back into that necessarily, but it kind of it kind of jumps off the back of that, Louisa, because it's kind of that part of that story. But what I will say is the because of the way the system is currently structured, there are opportunities that an informed, con- I say consumer in this case, can take advantage of to make more money or say. Save money on tax or whatever combination of that you want to run with. And financial advisors have a role in that. The biggest issue is that the current structure means that financial advisors charge a small fortune. Now, partly that's their fault, but that's the fault of the compliance regime that they're forced to adhere to. So not entirely their fault. But if you're charging, so I've said before, I, I want to try and get some financial advice on just a structure, whether I use family trust or a company or my own name. Uh, and I spoke to a couple of financial advisors who said, look, we won't take on clients for less than three grand up front. And that's just, for them, it's just, it wasn't worth their time because they've got to f- provide a full statement of advice and personal financial advice. I want a, a generic view on structure based on some criteria, right? They're not allowed to do that. They're not allowed to do that. So it's not all their fault, right? They have some rules. By the same token, as you rightly ask, if you want to help underrepresented communities, they're probably not the ones with a lot of money. Now I could probably justify that fee. Because if I invest well and I add money regularly and I've got 20, 30, 40, 50 years of compounding ahead of me, both while I'm working after in retirement, that feel, if I get that right, I could save almost certainly more than that in tax if I choose the right structure. So I go and pay that fee for sure. But the person, the nurse on, I don't know what a nurse earns, 75 grand a year, or the copper or fire or factory worker or taxi driver or school teacher or... You know, the, you know, and the underrepresented communities, you might be talking about women, you might be talking about minority groups, um, you might be talking about uh, indigenous people, you might be talking about ethnic communities, whoever, whoever they are. Um, if they're underrepresented, they're probably going to earn less almost by definition. They're going to be less able to afford that sort of financial advice. So the real problem with financial advice right now is the rich can afford it to get richer and the less rich, lower income, middle income workers can't afford it. And even if they could... Um, the upside for them is relatively limited. 
And so it's a really, really, really difficult place to be. Frankly, it's why I love doing this podcast because we don't charge for it. Everyone can access it. Whether you're 21, you've got a part-time job through uni. Whether you're 58 and you're a CEO and you've got a squillion dollars and everywhere in between, you can access this. And we can't give personal advice, of course, that's part of the problem. But we can help people understand the financial markets a bit better and hopefully make some better financial decisions. The real challenge for financial advice, if you want to help underrepresented communities, is doing it in a way that is legal, that adheres to the requirements of the law around personal advice, but is also cost-effective so people can actually use that advice, can access it. And that is literally the first, second, and third biggest problem with financial advice right now. So I don't have a really good answer for you. Um, I think there are some great financial advisors. The ones who do the most who add the most value for the most people are those who are the best financial coaches who are helping people stay on the straight and narrow, who help people overcome their uh, behavioral psychology, right? Uh, The ability to save regularly, to not stress about volatility, to put off, you know, uh, consumption, to defer consumption as the the economists say, uh, to save and invest regularly for the future, um, who structure their, their, their clients appropriately so they can get on with just doing their thing. But that's not going to earn anyone in the financial advice industry much money because those people can't pay a lot of money. The, mo- the money is in helping me save $1,000 in tax by negatively gearing or starting an investment uh, family trust or whatever those big ticket things are. That's what makes me a lot of money and that's what makes them a lot of money and that's not going to help underrepresented communities. So I wish I had a better answer for you, mate. Um, I hope financial advice continues to evolve. I hope there are better solutions for these people. I don't know what that is going to be. And so it's a hard answer to give you. Um, doesn't mean you can't do good things for people with moderate incomes or, or you know, moderately good incomes, sorry, I should say. Um, there'll be some underrepresented communities in those groups who just happen to have the opportunities and circumstances that let them stick their heads above the average and maybe you can help them be a bit richer again. And that's completely appropriate and fine. But it's very, very hard. The people who can most, who most need it, frankly, you know, if I, if I, if I make a bad tax option, I'm going to earn enough money in my lifetime to be completely okay. I can, I can have a suboptimal financial structure. I can pay a suboptimal amount of tax and still do completely fine. The people who need the advice, people who was like, you know what, buy a diversified ETF, add to it every month, you know, save some money, pay off your mortgage, don't get into consumer debt, uh, don't pay too much for your house, uh, and live happily ever after. They're the people who really, 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 really need the help. Uh, but the, stru- the, the system isn't structured. So I don't, I don't want to press you and I don't want to dissuade you, but I do want you to understand the structure of the industry as it currently exists. That was a long round. Hopefully it wasn't too ranty. It wasn't supposed to be. Your thoughts? Uh, look, I'll just add that, yeah, I just want to be careful in, in, in how certain comments are, are interpreted. But it's, I think you could say actually for almost any industry, there's, hmm. there's that, I don't know, 80-20 rule is probably not too rough cut of it, but that you just have some people who are just miracle workers, you know, whether yeah. that's in marketing or tech development or whatever. And then, you know, you've got a big long tail of mediocrity and then, you, mm-hmm. then at the end you've got maybe a lower certain percentage yeah. of people just outright frauds. <laughs> it's just pick, <laughs> there pick your industry, pick your there industry. So, so sometimes that. we go off a little bit because we're focusing at that that seedy sort of underbelly of it and the finance yeah. industry yeah. has no shortage of them. But that's not to, <laughs> that's not to um, 
to undermine the very, very good work that, that some people are really doing there. Yeah. So it's, it's, I, I just really want to emphasize that. So I, I always get a little bit nervous when people say, oh, I know you guys hate financial plans. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> yeah, right. I don't know. I didn't exactly say that. I didn't exactly Maybe we're not as nuanced as we need to be, generally speaking, but we do tend to shortcut to some of the worst of the worst, as you say. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's what gets the, <laughs> gets the attention. So there, there, are, yeah, there are. I mean, so I would say that. I would say, I would say always look at the incentives. Mm-hmm. I tell you what, this is, you want to rant. Um, I think this is the real shame of, with what ASIC is doing. So they've really cut, uh, um, yeah. they're cutting back on, what's the word, uh, stomping down on, on influencers, influencers on social media. Yep. Um, and, and like a lot of things, like for good reason, there's just like mm-hmm. some really dodgy people out there, you know, on TikTok or whatever saying, follow me and make a million dollars. But I'd also say as like someone who uses a bit of Twitter and that there are some really awesome people out there, right. particularly in the younger demographic. Just some young people are just like, it's all sensible stuff. Nothing I would disagree with. And they're giving it away for free mm-hmm. if you're on whatever, choose your favorite social platform. Yep. And ASIC said, no, 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 you're not licensed and we, we're, we're, kind of, we're, we're stomping down on it. Mm-hmm. And I just, I feel as though it's a bit of a shame. It's too, it's not that I'm saying that should be a Wild West and completely unregulated. I'm not saying that at all. But the regulation that they have is way too heavy-handed. It lives in an era which is no longer relevant for today. And all you're doing, who are you hurting? You're ultimately hurting the, those disadvantaged groups hmm. that, that can't afford to pay thousands and thousands for high-quality financial advice, but might be able to follow some really credible person on Twitter who's out there writing great blog articles. And okay, yeah, they've got some referral agreements from you know a number of other planners. Well, they, they're going to pay the bills, right? Like all of us do. Yeah. Um, it's, it's not like evil to make money. It's, it's evil to make it in a disingenuous way or to, to hurt people. But if you're offering really great service, uh, I've just got no, pro- I've got no problem with it. And I find it a real, real shame. And I heard the head of ASIC say, oh, well, people should just get an a- AFSL license. And I'm just thinking, <laughs> well, choose my language carefully. You, you are so out of touch, you dinosaur. Like, do you, know, do, you know how, do you know how hard it is to get one of those and how much mm-hmm. money it costs? Mm-hmm. You know, all you're doing is, is digging a deeper moat around mm-hmm. the entrenched players and all the big, all the big financial service firms are like, thank you, we love it. Mm-hmm. Oh, but th- th- don't, don't think for a second that they don't love very heavy-handed regulation because mm-hmm. it just keeps, it keeps the competition at bay. It's a, it's yeah. a, it's a shame. It's a tragedy, I think. <sighs> I, I really struggle with that one, mate. Um, it may, it may, it may belie uh, our, our respective roles and, and organisations. Um, I, I struggle because this is this is kind of regulation one hundred and one, right? It's kind of like how much good do you how much good do you avoid? How much bad do you avoid? Or how, you know, how much good do you uh, stop happening to avoid the bad? And there's no mm. there's no really good solution. Mm. I I have a real problem with it because I dare say if you if you grabbed the number of people who are self styled influencers online. I'm not entirely sure the net result isn't actually positive by getting rid of them all. Because <laughs> for every for every one or two great people, there's probably 84 crypto pumpers out there who are telling you to buy. No, no, no. You're allowed to. You're allowed property and crypto. You're allowed to pump. <laughs> I'm dead serious. You no, don't, true, don't true. talk about a blue chip, high yeah. quality dividend yeah. paying stock. You go to jail if you if you're seen to be giving advice. You want to talk about some stupid NFT or some ridiculous property <laughs> investment? That, that's not covered by the same legislation. That's how mad it is. No, no. But you get you, know? you get my but you get my point though, right? Like it, it's, I, I think the it, like everything you're saying. Well, hang on. There's some good people who are going to be put off by this, and and I absolutely agree with you. It's absolutely true. But also, how many bad people do you know are also put up by, and what's the net result? And I think 
I think we're both looking at it and seeing slightly different things because you're saying, hey, look at all the good stuff they're taking away. Mm. I'm saying, well, look at all the bad stuff they're also helping people avoid. And it's, it's hard, right? There was, no, there was no good solution because mm. you, you can't have one without the other without some form of solution. I, th- I don't think the answer is either get rid of the influencers or make everyone spend tens and tens and tens of thousands of dollars in eight months for a financial services license. Yeah. I, but I don't, I think that's, that's all I'm saying. Point. Yeah, that, that's that's all I'm saying, and I would make this point as well. Okay, let's let's look at the industry proper. Let's look at the people who ASIC are happy to give advice. Yeah, these are the people that we looked at during the Royal Commission. These are the people who are charging dead people. These are the people who are <laughs> flagrantly putting people into their own product. I mean, so you you can't say, oh, all this, you know, this twenty six year old on on Twitter who's giving perfectly rational, sound advice is pure evil. But this multi-billion-dollar company that owns thirty percent of the market that has been screwing—look at AMP allegedly. Let me throw that word in very quickly. You know, they have done no favors. You want to talk about the damage done? Hmm. Uh, and they—they they touched on. They barely scratched the surface. They, the damage that was done to how many thousands of Australians through this company that is allowed to do all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Just for what it's worth, I'm not saying it's easy, but what it's worth, I, I, would, I would flip it around and I would basically make it much easier, lower the barriers to entry, but just have very, very punitive fines and consequences for those that were acting badly. Oh, I, I think that's-, that's I, would, I would do it I that would way. Yep, yeah. I would do the same. I, 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 think you need, I think you need to demonstrate some ability- to give advice. If, honestly, if my sister decided to jump online and start talking about BHP, that would be a travesty, not because my sister's not a wonderful person, but she knows nothing about investing. If she all of a sudden just, you know, made herself a self-styled finfluencer, that'd be terrible, right? Not, she might get lucky, she might manage to get it right. Um, the same, by the way, you know, if I, if I try to do her job, I'd have the same problem, right? There, there needs to be some degree of, I think, accreditation, maybe, maybe is a better word than licensing. Some sense of actually, I know enough about what I'm doing. I know what ASX stands for and I can tell you what a PE is. Like that, you know, some very basic stuff. So at least you, you're, you're, there's some basis for your understanding and believing you. But I completely agree with you on top of that, that mm-hmm. there should be some element of, um, uh, uh, well, sorry, there should be a much stronger element of, what's the word, policing maybe, um, of what's being done and, and, and ways of dealing with people who are doing the wrong thing in a much more punitive way. Should if a, Louisa, if you're, a, if you're a con artist, you should right. have consequences. Absolutely, Correct. absolutely. Should, should Louisa ignore, uh, uh, abandon the plans to enter the financial industry if she's trying to help underrepresented communities? Um, no, you should definitely chase in life what you're passionate about, whatever that is. And, and the economics are a very small part of that. I would argue. I, I'd, I'd much prefer to do something I love and be paid pretty, you know, pretty average mm. levels than do something I hate and be paid like an investment banker. Personally. I think I think the latter sounds good, um, yeah. but it's actually if you've ever met an investment banker, you know they all look like they're fifty, even when they're thirty-two, because <laughs> it's such a it's such a, a difficult uh, life. But yeah, that's just that's just me. I, I would say if you've got a real passion for something, life's short, chase yep. it. Just just recognise it's going to be very hard for you under the current environment to charge low enough fees to genuinely help those people oh, yeah. with personal yeah. financial advice. There is a structural impediment to that as it currently stands. Maybe that changes as we said. Well, that, right. that, that's where I kind of launched off from because mm-hmm. it's, it's people like Louisa who mm-hmm. start a blog post. Um, who yeah. you know? Remember, there's, there's some really like Miss Moneybox did some really great stuff. You know, yeah. shout out to yeah. Bronwyn. You know, and uh, people like that who are passionate. They're there to help. Their heart yeah. is absolutely in the right place. They gave really great advice, and they've been kicked out. And that that, that would to me would have been an easier way of going about it in, in the modern economy and the modern world that we live in. But unfortunately, right. hence my rant. Um, it's it's that door has been closed. She's been on this podcast, by the way, Bronwyn. She's spectacularly good. I agree. Yep. 
Motley Fool Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. Let's go to a question from Petrus who says, uh, G'day Scott and Andrew. It's great to listen to people who like to pick quality companies and hold them rather than the noisy buy-sell crowd. I thought I'd share a personal example of the buy-and-hold strategy. This is fun. For either my 18th or 21st birthday, says Petrus, memory fails me, my parents gave me 500 Colesmeyer shares. Mid-1990s value was about 1000 bucks. I enrolled in the dividend reinvestment plan. In brackets, there's your dollar cost averaging. Close brackets. So when it was active, I got more shares. In 2006, West Farmers bought Coles after they sold the Meyer Group. So now my 676 shares in Coles Meyer became 210 shares in West Farmers, as well as getting $2,000 in cash. I participated in the share placement in 2009 for another outlay of $1,282, but have done nothing since except participate in the DRP, the Dividend Reinvestment Plan. In 2018, West Farmers demerged Coles. So I then had, because of the DRP, 492 shares in West Farmers and 492 shares in Coles. Today, that stands as 571 West Farmers shares. He says that's $27,000 at $47 a share and 528 Coles shares. $9,266 $9,266 at $17.55. So the initial outlay of $1,000 in about 1994 and $1,280 in 2009 is now worth $36,000 from the takeover. Sorry, $36,000 plus $2,000 from the takeover plus any dividends and cash returns, which were not part of the DRP. And there's been quite a few. It might not be riding a 10x rocket, but I'll take it and see what the next 25 years brings. It's a pretty cool story, isn't it? That's super cool. Dollar super cost cool. averaging, leave the money alone, let it do its thing, do dividend reinvestment plan if you want to. Just just wait. That's a that's a great story. Petrus says now I've got a question though. Oh sorry, do you want to comment on that? Oh, I was just gonna say it's sort of like that it's getting getting rich slow is like the easiest thing in the world. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> just except that it takes a long time. It almost literally is, you know, like we've talked about mm. the Vanguard Index chart so many times. I I, I if you've been listening for for a year or two, and by now you haven't like it hasn't clicked for you, it's probably not going to, and that's okay. But mm. like seriously, just that's why. Can, can I tell you that I, I said this on Twitter um, earlier in the week? That's why for me, super is such a national treasure because it just stops us doing all the stupid things that humans would do if we had our chance to get the hands on the money. Mm. It literally is just like, I'm, it, if nothing else, it saves us from ourselves. That That is its number one feature with a bullet. Daylight, second, third, and fourth. And then on top mm. of that, you can start to talk about some other stuff. It's just mm. so amazingly good. All right, here's Petrus's question. Now question, can you please go down the rabbit hole, oh dear, of buying international shares with the vagaries of currency exchange? With the Aussie dollar plumbing the depths against the US, does this devalue the purchase of international shares? Do you wait until the dollar is over 80 cents and fill your boots? Or... Is the trick more in the timing of the selling and the exchange rate at the time? Cheers from Petrus. Mm. What do you reckon, mate? We, we've touched on this a few times. So there yep. is some. There is a lot of good reason to invest overseas because some of the biggest, best companies in the world are overseas. Um, and it's, it's really great to have exposure to them. Um, yeah, currency can move things around. So what, the Aussie dollar is about 69 US cents at the moment. So if you bought a bunch mm. of Apple shares... And the share price didn't go anywhere for five years, but the uh, Aussie dollar went up. When you bring that money back, well, you just you're getting less for it. You've lost you've lost money. So so currency absolutely matters. Yeah. The good thing though for a, a longer term investor is that the pace of growth and value creation within a company 
is generally going to be far more significant than what any currency fluctuation is going to be. So, you know, yeah. look, who, who knows what the future could hold, right? Um, so, but history would sort of say that sort of 50 cents is about as low as it's sort of been in modern mm-hmm. times, a dollar, I think, got to a dollar 10 at one stage, you know? So we're kind of, we're in the middle of that. It'll guarantee it, it, it'll move around. But, you know, when you look back on, on in 10 years' time at the value of, I don't know, Apple, or any of these these monsters, um, yeah. and the Aussie dollar moves against you, I still think you'll probably be okay. I shouldn't name particular stocks here because I'll get myself into trouble. But <laughs> it, it provided yeah. provided yeah. you think it's a really great company, I think that's a risk. I think that's a risk worth taking. Yeah, yeah I, funnily if you said Apple, mate, I, I kind of laughed as you're talking because I, I, that's exactly the company I pull up. But I won't do one of the ones I own. I, I, Berkshire, or Amazon. No, I won't do that. I'll do Apple because I don't own it. Uh, Apple over five years has gone up fourfold from $41 to 160 US, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? So almost exactly fourfold, which is lovely for me. Um, over that time, the dollar's gone, five years ago, it was 81 cents. It fell as low as- Oh, it's a win-win. It's a leverage. Cents. It's back to 78 cents in 2001, uh, 2021, down to 70 cents. Now it's 69 cents. So you've got a currency the, kicker on top of your Forex return. Well, what I, I mean, in the event, yeah, but almost what I meant was it fluctuated right through that period of time, but- mm. um, Currencies, you said this last week, currencies kind of, they, they I don't, there's, there's probably a mathematical term for them, right? But because they're, because they're an exchange item, they can't go to zero or, or, or infinity because it's what you swap one for the other four. Like it's, you know, there, there's, because of like, because like they're representative of their, of their countries, their democracies and their economies and all that sort of stuff. And so it's just, it's, it's a relative measure. Dollar value of shares are absolute measures because they are literally, how much is this thing worth based on what it does? So they're very, very, very different things. It, it's possible in a Venezuelan or Russian or something Zimbabwean type sense for the currency to go nuts. So we shouldn't ever say it's not possible for it to either make or break you because it could do both. You know, if the Australian dollar was to go to ten cents or fifteen dollars, then yes, it could meaningfully make or break stuff. But over the very, very, very long term, in fact, since the dollar was floated, nineteen eighty three. Um, it's fluctuated between forty nine cents ish and about a dollar ten ish. Don't quote me on either of those extremes. So, you know, at best, right, a two-to-one exchange through there. Over that time, let's, let's go back to the Vanguard index chart. 30 years, 13x return. And by the way, the, um, the US market did even better than the Australian market over that period of time, as it turns out. Uh, but either way, that's a 13x return. You know, the, the dollar hasn't gone up or down by anywhere near that much. So the value of investing is, is worth it. I think where it's more difficult though, Ram, to be fair, is if you look at investing in, so just take the total, total markets, and we can talk individual stocks in a sec, but at a total market level, the US and the Australian market haven't been that different over the super long term. And so the currency kind of would matter in that context, right? If, if you'd invest in, and because it's because a relative thing again at a, at a market level, I'm giving up the opportunity to invest in the Australian market to invest in the US market or vice versa. And so the dollar kind of does matter, at, at, at least in, in theory, because you could have the exchange rate go against you and go against you by enough to make a US investment underperform against a relative Australian investment or vice versa, either at a market level or even at a company level. I could invest in Apple or Prometicus, to use your example before. I could invest in Amazon or Kogan to pick two companies in the same space that I own both of, or, or um, Woodside or Exxon, right? Both, both oil majors. And so to some degree, the company performance matters far, far more than the currency, but at a total level or even company versus company, there are extremes where I would absolutely do things differently. And my, so I'll give you my general approach. Generally speaking, we know over the long term, the dollar's been roughly 80 cents, I think, which is exactly the, the, um, the, the number that was used in the question. And you're absolutely right there, uh, Petrus. You know, that, that's about the average. Do I care if it's 90 or 70? No, not at all. But as I said last week, at 49 cents, I probably would be convinced to sell all or most of my US shares because you don't get that sort of opportunity to bring back money at two for one very, very often. 
Similarly, at $1.10, it's so far from the average that it'd be like commodity prices. On average, if you buy at you know, a very, very high or, or very, very low price, the odds are dramatically in one direction. Not permanent, not guaranteed, whatever. But if I had a great investment opportunity in Australia and a great opportunity in America, at $1.10, I take the American one every single day because the upside from the currency is likely, but not guaranteed, to give me a result. Similarly, if I had a great opportunity in the US and Australia at 50 cents, I would say, you know what, <laughs> thanks, but the chance the dollar goes lower is not very high. The chance it goes higher is pretty high and that's gonna subtract from my returns. So the further the dollar goes from the average, the more likely I am to change what I do because in a relative sense, because the opportunity cost to use your, one of your favorites, Ram, is, is investing in the other market. I think it is actually relevant. What do you think? Yeah, it's totally relevant, yeah. Um, I mean, again, I think, I think we all overthink it and I think the industry sort of is stokes a lot of this kind of stuff where we we analyze this to the nth degree and it's just like look pick some great investments overseas even that's an etf put it under the we just we just had the lesson of long-term compounding right and i just i want to i want i want some exposure i've said before i'm a very active direct investor um but a big chunk of my super is just invested in a US ETF and a NASDAQ ETF because I, yeah. I, just, I just want that kind of stuff. And, you know, we could argue the toss over the next six weeks as to the exact proportion mm-hmm. risk-weighted adjusted and just, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I, think, I think once you've just basically made that initial decision, mm-hmm. you, you've, you've done 90% of the work. The rest is fine-tuning. I think so. I think so. I don't um, – yeah, I, I, I think it's a little bit more than that on the extremes personally. Um I think it should. The more, the further it's from the extreme, the more you should think about it because it will actually either benefit or, or harm your returns. But to mm-hmm. your point, if you dollar cost averaging or something like that, then exactly, it's a bit like share price. You just ignore it and keep investing, right? That's yeah. that's almost the broader point. Yeah, um, but yeah, if, if there were extremes, I would I would do things differently. Hey, um, here's one from Mo. Mo says, "Good evening." Well, must have been good evening. I would like to put forward a question for the podcast, if possible, please. Hi, Scott and Andrew. I'm relatively new to the investing world. I've followed it from a distance for the last twenty years. However, I only started with my own savings in 2020. I've had some very good success since then, including a 40% gain on the market this calendar year so far. This this calendar year? I know. I thought the same thing. (laughs) Obviously in energy stocks, I'm assuming. Given my inexperience, I worry that I've just got completely lucky as opposed to the process I follow trying to undercover great companies. Could you please discuss my process as outlined below as some articles I've read say the biggest mistakes was great success early. And yep, Mo Andrews yep. said exactly that. Yep. Here's what Mo says. I only look for companies with return on capital and return on equity, more than 20%. And the price earnings to growth ratio, or the peg ratio, less than one as per Peter Lynch. I then do more research into management, which can be very personal in what you believe in to be good or bad and look at future growth prospects. There's a little more, including email the company some questions, but these are certainly the main points before I invest anything. Thanks for your thoughts and would appreciate any feedback. And thanks for everything as I am joining the podcast. Regards, Mo. So return on capital, return on equity more than 20% and a price earnings growth ratio less than one. In other words, the growth rate is higher than mm. the price earnings ratio. Your thoughts? Yeah, not for me. Um, okay. But, I mean, let's just clarify that. Hey, for those who are- 20%, are we, are we the ones making a mistake? Yeah, yeah, that's very true. Very true. No, I mean, I don't, I, there's there's a nuance there is all I'm saying. The the so these these are metrics that measure the profitability. How much money was made relative 
to the equity inside the business relative to the capital at its disposal. So it's good, right? Like it, it, it helps us, you know, two companies might have, might have both made a million dollars, but one might have had to throw a billion dollars worth of capital to make that. And the other one might have just had a $10 <laughs> starting ticket and off they went. Now, one right. is a much, much better business. And Mo's absolutely right to look at them. Mm. Uh, as with the peg ratio, which tries to sort of benchmark PEs, you know, how high or low is it relative to the growth? So they're all very sensible things to kind of look at. The trouble is, I find, is that they, they're all backwards looking. Mm. So this is, this is what the ROE was. Uh, on this particular trip around the sun, um, there may be, uh, and often in fact are, um, peculiarities or, or mm, different mm. things with that. You'd be surprised the number of companies that you look at that are just undoubtedly incredible generators of wealth over very long periods of time. But for whatever accounting you know reason, mm. have a ROE of 18%. <laughs> You know, where it's normally twenty five, and you kind of think, well, that, this is the trouble with scans, right? Like you just you 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 jump over a lot of stuff that otherwise should be included, and a lot of stuff gets included that probably probably shouldn't. So false negatives mm-hmm. and um, um, false positives. Uh, so I just I, for me that that it's a it's a lovely thing to think about, but I don't I don't like the for me personally I don't I don't like the rigidity in saying that there is a cutoff. I mean, is, is, there a, is there a company out there that's been generating 19% return on capital for the last 10 years? Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and sometimes uh, PEs, um, PEs are uh, a thorny kinds of things as well. I mean, you've got to put a growth rate on that to turn it into a peg. Well, whose growth rate are you using? Company's yeah. forecast? Your forecast? Forecast of some analyst? Historical numbers, maybe? You know, maybe historical number, yeah. well, then you're extrapolating. Yeah. Is that reasonable to do? I mean, they're all good questions, but yeah. it's the more I've been doing this, the more I've come to realize that it's there's a lot of subjectivity in all of this kind of stuff and it just doesn't it's why i'm pretty anti-scanning tools it's why i'm pretty anti-black box systems i just look if it was that easy you know goldman sachs would just have a computer in the basement and they'd be making squillions of dollars they don't they employ huge numbers of very highly trained analysts and the rest of it because it's it's not it's not that easy so I think you're right to look at those characteristics of a business, mm-hmm. but I would look at them. I would look them look at them in a less rigid kind of way. Yep, I love it, mate. I can't improve on much of that actually. I one thing I would say is that if you're going to use historical data, at least use a longer history. Um, I'm going to speculate wildly here. Um, you know what's cheap on a peg basis right now? Price earnings to growth is mm-hmm. mining stocks. And, and oil stocks because mm-hmm. profits have skyrocketed because of rising commodity prices and PEs haven't caught up. So growth in profits. Also, if you're making relatively windfall profits, your returns on capital and equity are going to be pretty high because you make windfall profits because the commodity mm-hmm. price happens to be really, really high right now. Mm-hmm. Those things are almost certainly not going to last, at least historically, would, that would suggest to be true. And so what you may find is, if, and by the way, good luck to you. Not, you, made, you made the money. You've made more money than I have. Knock yourself out. Um, take, take the money and run. Uh, but you might find that circumstances like that, you end up with a single year's data uh, that is massively not, is very unrepresentative of, of the actual long-term, either past or future. Mm-hmm. And so there'll be other circumstances where that changes dramatically uh, and you end up with the reverse situation. Peter Lynch's peg ratio is useful, not as useful now as it used to be because P has improved, increased a lot across the board. 
And investors are very, very dependent growth. on the interest rate environment, right? Correct. Mm. And investors are paying up for growth, right? So we've all mm -hmm. just as a group gone, hang on, we know these companies grow faster and so they're worth more. And so it's harder to find those companies. Mm -hmm. When you do, they tend to be the exception, probably the exception, I want to say for good reasons, maybe for bad reasons might actually be the better way to, to put it. But otherwise, I can't, I can't disagree with anything else that you said. I think it's um, just, just so I, 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 like, I like the thinking, Mo. I, I think those are the right things to think about. Yeah. I would, Definitely. So firstly, as Ram says, don't rely on just the hard data, but also if, to the extent you're going to use that data, please think about it over, over an economic cycle, not just last year or next year, because last year's winners can be tomorrow's losers if and when the reverse happens. We see the share price potentially um, go up because people are jumping in, the commodity price falls, and that's what happens with cyclical companies. And you look at the history of oil drillers or BHP or any of those guys, that the, the fluctuations in share prices, no, you know, Sometimes they look great, sometimes they look terrible. I wouldn't want you to learn the wrong lessons as you suggest you may well have, have taken yourself. Yeah, I just, I want to, I want to double down on the point you're making there because it sounds like we're being critical to Mo. We're, we're not. I mean, like, okay, not, you look, not looking at absolute, I mean, yeah, he, he's, he's saying it's really <laughs> important to understand the profitability and it's really important to understand whether there's value or not because I can do badly in a great company right. if I yep. have a pay. And he's 100% right. And I, and I really commend him. It's just, it's, it's just, it's being careful not to sort of have these. Uh, lines in the sand that that you know can be a bit tricky. The, the the start of the question there was a really good one though that I want to I want to touch on before we move on, mm. which is how do I know whether I've been lucky or not? <laughs> yeah. Well, skills, skills what I have, luck's what other people have. <laughs> exactly. That's that's exactly. <laughs> it. Um, it's, a, it's a really it's a really great question though. Mm. One you need to ask mm. yourself honestly because the reality is is that sometimes you will just get lucky, right? And it's yeah. dangerous to confuse luck with skill because oh, you'll probably yeah. do the same thing again, expecting the same result. Uh, but and if bad we, luck with bad luck with lack of skill too, right? Like oh, it yeah. goes both ways. Oh yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah. Um, uh, for me, because the market is so wild and crazy, you can't just sort of say, well, over the last six or three months or 12 months, I've done this, therefore I know what I'm doing. You know, there's the whole infinite monkey sort of theorem where I've, you know, I throw enough chimps at the ASX and some of them are going to like make Warren Buffett look like an idiot. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, um, so how do you tell? How do you distinguish? Um, I think, I think the best way is to, I know I say this all the time, but keep an investment diary. Write down, why are you buying this company X, Y, or Z? Why? You know, what's the investment thesis? If you bought it for a certain set of reasons and three weeks later it got a takeover offer out of the blue and the price jumped up 40% mm. and that was just not on your radar. Right, exactly. you, you don't get to claim credit for that. That was just mm. Johnny on the spot and well done. Don't, I mean, you know, take, take your victories where you can get them, but just also <laughs> recognize that, okay, I got, I got lucky on, on that one. Um, I think I think that is the really the best the best way of 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 doing it because you'll you'll also work out over time the kinds of things that are and aren't working for you and that will prompt mm. you to change and refine your approach and your strategy which I think we all should I mean I mentioned Buffett before he's he has evolved. Yeah. A lot. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> the young Warren Buffett was a very, 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 very different investor mm. to, to mm. how he invests mm. today. There's, there's, there's uh, practical reasons for that, but there's also just, you know, learning and growing and we all will. So anyone, even I don't care if you're like 70 years of age and you say, yeah, I've got it all worked out. You, you, you need to sort of, <laughs> you need to continually grow and challenge yourself and change. And the only way to sort of do that in an, any kind of objective way is just to, yeah, keep keep a diary. Reflect on the successes and on the mistakes, and ask yourself why. Sometimes you just get bad luck for both, you know. Um, yeah. And and that's fine. 
but the but the worst mistake is is to actually realize that you didn't do anything wrong and just things went 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 against you. That'll ha- that'll happen a lot. Process is what matters, not not <laughs> not uh, individual outcomes. So, I think that's I think that's a good way of looking at it. Anyway, tell me, help me, help me with that because if we're if anyone's statistically minded, they're hearing you go cool, but I've only got a certain number of companies mm-hmm. and there's a certain amount of noise in the market. And so time is an issue and, and sample size is an issue and universe is an issue and all those things that are issues. And they look at their portfolio and say, hey, what's actually going on here? Um, either in total or versus the market, which is its own thing. Um, a reasonably statistically minded person might say, you own 20 companies, you've owned them for five years. Dude, you haven't even scratched the surface of a representative sample. No. Maybe not, right? I'm, I'm no statistician. Yeah. But, but just broadly, that idea. C- can you give me a sense of how to think about when I can draw those conclusions? How do I separate noise and signal to use the, the cool phrase these days? Yeah, yeah. Excellent question. And, and, the, and the easiest way to do that is to ignore the share price. I mean, the share <laughs> price is one of these things that kind of doesn't matter and yet is everything. I mean, obviously, that's that's the it's price the of getting thing, right? to get get in and get out. And that's who, their, who, care, yeah. who cares what happens in the meantime? If I sell for less than I bought it for, it doesn't matter how right in air quotes I am in the meantime. If I sell for a, buy for a buck and sell for 80 cents, I'm wrong because I'm wrong because I'm wrong, surely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, th- this is... Is, well, maybe not. I mean, if, <laughs> if 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 your investment thesis is the share price will go up, well, I guess if the share price has gone up, you're right. But it's got, it's like it's a very shallow, superficial kind of thesis. Well, why has it gone up? I my when I'm buying um, companies, it's because I have a certain view on the pace of growth. What how how are you going to grow your earnings or your sales? Right. You right. know, if I bought a company thinking that they're going to sort of be doing really solid double digit earnings growth over the next 5 mm-hmm. years and the next couple of years they're sort of like at 3 or 4% or you know god forbid they go backwards in a massive way it's clear even if the share price is up i was wrong right like mm-hmm. I, objectively i'm wrong i can't predict or anticipate what the market is going to do the market is just thousands and thousands of, of of humans you know these these bald apes that just don't know what the hell they're doing and 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 I, I can't anticipate that, but if but if I if I can have a view on what the fundamentals of the business I think are, are likely to do, and I'm more often you know I'm broadly right on that, I know that the market's going to agree with me more more uh, sooner or, or later. So that's that's the yardstick I think to use is is uh, forget about the bloody share market. What's this What's this thing I'm buying? Know what you own and why you mm-hmm. own it. Mm-hmm. You know, what am I owning here? What, what, when it, get rid of the share market, I actually own an equity stake in this this business, you know. Um, but isn't there a right and a wrong price for every asset, mate? Isn't it possible to pay too much for even the very best business in that context or a price you can pay where the business can go backwards by, I think we talked about Adairs, was it last week? Mm-hmm. You know, that, that could effectively go backwards for the next three years and I'm still buying at a good price. Yeah. Don't, don't don't doesn't that vary those those two examples invalidate or at least mean there's more to life than just hey as long as the business is growing I'm okay how, how do you how do you square that one yeah so so part of understanding the business is is being able to put a value on it that you think is objective and and is mm-hmm. is reasonable now what is unreasonable is to expect that as soon as you've done that work to assume that you're 100% right and the market is very soon going to agree with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so I don't mind yeah, But being- how long do I wait? That's that's my point, right? Like yeah. you say the share price doesn't matter, but at some point if I've, if the business is growing for five straight years and I'm, the share price is still less than I bought it for, mm. 10 years the share price, Microsoft went nowhere 15 years after the dot-com crash, right? Yeah. 
I, you know, I, th- I think it's reasonable to say, you may even disagree. I think it's reasonable to say that if you bought Microsoft shares in 2000, no matter how good the business was going to be, you massively overpay if you had to wait 15 years for it to get back to that level. Yeah, it's a great. So even if you knew the future, even if you were right about the, the diary, I think Microsoft's going to do this and this, this, did all that stuff. Yep, 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 I was right. Yeah, yeah. I still have not made any money. Was that a good investment or a bad one? Um, yeah. I, well, look, I, I think here's this sort of, I guess, massive assumption that we all have. I think it's a good assumption, but the assumption is is that, again, I'm quoting Buffett a lot, but if, if the business does mm-hmm. well, the share price will eventually follow. So we, we, we don't know why, but it's this whole short-term voting machine, long-term weighing machine. Mm-hmm. If the fundamentals are there, the market can do all kinds of stupid things, but it yeah. will eventually recognize it. So to take an example, like let's say I bought a company that's earning $1 per share and I'm buying it at, at $10. And I'm thinking that this is probably going to double triple its earnings, say, in the next five years. Mm. Well, let's roll it forward. Let's say it's five years later and the company, the share price has dropped from 10 bucks back to eight. It's dropped 20%. Mm. But I was right and earnings have tripled. So now I've got a company earning $3 a share, trading at $8 a share. It's like, well, I'm kind of wrong in the sense that my assumption that the market would recognize that. Mm. Um but I still feel pretty good at holding that. In fact, all that's happened is, is that again, I can't go back and change the past. If I could, I wouldn't mm. wouldn't buy the mm. damn things. But, mm. but again, I'm, I'm assuming here that there's nothing massively changed in terms of the outlook. It's like, actually, I'm going to buy some more of these things. It's the same company doing <laughs> exactly what I thought it would do. And now the market in its infinite wisdom, quote unquote, is now giving it to me at a, like, I bought it at a P of 10. Now it's on a P of two point something. This is insane value. Back up the truck, right? Okay, what um, about a P of, what if you bought a P of 40 at $10? Yeah. Uh, now it's a P of, now, now it's a P of 13. Yeah. Or you bought it at a P of 60, now it's a P of 20. I mean, I, I, I don't disagree with anything you're saying at all, at all, at all. Mm-hmm. But, but, but price does matter, right? You, you've got to have bought it at a re- in, your, in your example, both those prices are cheap. Yep. P of 10 is obviously cheap. It's going to, nothing's at a P of 10 is going to triple profits in three years, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. The, the, the thing's going to triple profits in three years. If everyone believes it, it's a P of 168. Promedicus is a great example of yours, right? Yep. The, the PE is astronomical and always has been. Maybe always will be. Mm-hmm. Or maybe the PE comes back to 12 times and... People are saying this business is growing beautifully, but the PE compression alone. Yeah. We talked about some of the businesses yeah. like we're losing Combank and other things that are going to grow, and you know, paying too much for them matters. Are we speaking out of both sides of our mouth here? No, 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 no. I, I mean, I would say in that instance that your valuation was wrong. You, you, you have predicated right. your investment on the on the fact that this historically very, very high multiple will persist indefinitely in the future. Right. And if it doesn't happen, then your thesis was wrong. Come back. To, it's actually actually perfectly underscores the. But even point. if the business grows, to use your, your original point, you know, it's going to grow. The business. Your point is the no, share no, price will no, no, no. There's two. There's, over time. There, no, there's two parts to it. There's there's one. One. Do I understand what I'm buying the business? Do I understand? Yeah. Do I feel as though I've got a good handle on value? What's that value mm-hmm. predicated on? Is it is it predicated purely on multiple what they call multiple expansion, or is it predicated on? market at some point in the future, trading at what we might call a historical mm-hmm. sort of average and the business fundamentals radically improving. It, it, you will, I put that out as a challenge to anyone listening. You find me a business who is trading within a QE of what you might call a, a reasonable historic average of a PE multiple that has grown its earnings at any kind of sort of meaningful rate. I, I would almost bet my left arm that in 98% mm-hmm. of it, uh, cases, the, sh- the share price has gone up. Not, not in 100%. We're, but again, yeah. we're playing a probabilistic game. So you can't – people love to do this on the market. Aha. <laughs> ah, here's an example of like, well, you know, <laughs> I, I can point to you – I can point to the guy who just base jumped off the 
Sydney Harbour Bridge and did a perfect landing, you know, in the park and didn't 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 scratch himself. And that, yeah. that's hard, it's hard so to. Suppose base jumping was a good idea. Base jumping's always <laughs> a great idea. Look at that. That that is how my that's how my nine year old rationalizes things, you know. So yeah. it's kind of like we are playing probabilistic games. So you're asking all the right points, mm. but it's not. There's, I'm not offering a formula that hey, here's got 100 percent of the time. This is always going to work, and it's always going to work over yep. this time frame. I'm not. Yep. In fact, I'm, I'm, I'm very consciously knowing that, as Peter Lynch said, I'm going to be right if I'm good six times out of ten. Right. Um, I, I know that even when I'm broadly right on certain aspects, if I'm wrong on the other, that's going to invalidate the whole lot. But if I just mm-hmm. – here's the thing. I'm just going to try and buy good companies that I own that I think are going to perform well and I'm going to buy them at a decent price. And I'm going to be going into that – with a mindset where I'm in no great rush and I'm looking to hold for multiple years, I can wait for the market to go get out of its funk and become in a better mood and all of these kinds of things. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't know exactly how, when, or why, but you know, more, more that's that's actually been an incredibly, incredibly successful strategy. And for better or worse, that's the strategy I, I apply, even though I know it's not going to be 100% perfect in in every, in every instance. I almost think I agree. <laughs> I know you do. <laughs> I know you do. I do. You're just, I, you're I, just trying I'm, to. I don't, I don't have a good. The problem is I don't have a good answer to my own question, which is how 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 do you know when you're getting it roughly right? You know the the idea of you know we've said before about people if you, if you're not enjoying it or you're not good at it, pick an ETF and go fishing. Yeah. And so there's, there's a point at which you should say, actually, I've done this enough times to know, and it's a really hard answer because if you have. 15 companies in your portfolio held on for three years, mm. you don't have either enough companies or a long enough time period to really, really know for sure whether you're any good at this. Yeah. And that's the, that's the sucky thing about it. And by the time you realize you are or not, you aren't good, uh, you'll either look back and go, man, I wasted X years and I bought X companies. Or, gee, I'm glad I, did, I used X years and X companies. So I'm, I seems like I'm reasonably good at this. You know, mm-hmm. um, Share Advisor is 10 years old. I, I'm pretty happy that's you know, still market beating and, and delivering positive returns, right? So we're doing something roughly right. Not market beating as much as it was, by the way, because the last 12 months are really tough. But um, it, is, it is what it is. And I think roughly we're doing a pretty good job in adding some value. But mm-hmm. could I have known after three or four years? I, I kind of like to have thought I was on the right track, but I wouldn't have told people... This is un- undeniably a sense that you know, on average, I'm probably okay at this. Mm. I'm still trying to try this out. I don't, I don't know the answer myself, mate. I, I, it's a, it's a really, really tough one. Um, I would say, what I would say is, don't try and learn the lessons too quickly. Mm. So be more diversified than average. Uh, be more humble than average. Mm. Uh, assume there are. Uh, I mean, not, don't assume you're wrong. Just don't assume you're right. You know, just just allow for the, the chance that no matter which way direction you're... Pro- if you started investing in tech shares 12 months ago, you've given up by now, right? You're like, mm-hmm. this is stupid. I suck at this. Look, at the, you know, and, and is, it, is it relevant? No, because over the last 20 years, tech has created spectacular amounts of value for a whole lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, but you would have said, if you've done it the last 12 months, 18 months, what a terrible idea. I, I suck at investing. I should never have done this. Um, you won't necessarily learn the right lesson. So I, I'm going to say, I don't know, 30 companies, five years. Can yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I think I, my, gen, my yeah. Look, I don't know how scientific this is, but I've always mm. felt that if you're not prepared to un- leave your money untouched for five years, I mean, yeah. things can change very rapidly because the circumstances change. But the intention is, is that I'm just not going to need to draw on this money for five years. That'll, yeah. that'll forgive a lot of sins, I think, and that that gives time for the fundamentals to to shine through. In fact, if you have to narrow that, even three years is is a hell of a lot better than what most people are looking at in terms of a, a, a terms of a time horizon. But yeah, yeah, I, I think I think they're good 
numbers to to start off with. It's it, here's the thing with investing: people want a formula. That that's why they're we talk yeah, yeah, we talked right. before about like all the shysters out there and the con artists because <laughs> they give they give people what they want. And what do people yep. want? We all yeah, want yeah, yeah. we want certainty. We don't want the guy or girl who's when asked a question about the share market goes, it depends. It's nuanced. It's a probabilistic game. Even if you're right, you're going to look dumb for a long period of time. And rah, rah, you're, they, no, you don't want that. You want the person who's going yeah. to go, no. Yeah, that's right. Jim, Jim Cramer, you know, big sound effects, going to the moon, mm. buy this, definitely it's going to go great. That that That's why those people exist because there will always be a ready market for that. And <laughs> <laughs> it's just not that easy. It's just hey, not that easy. Over again. Yeah. Exactly. Very good. All right, mate. Uh, that's been a fun chat. Thank you for letting me prod and poke you for a little bit at the end of that one. Uh, will you come back on Friday? Yeah, let's do it. King. Beautiful. I look forward to it. Talk to you then. Full on. Cheers. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under Financial Services Licence 400691.